Welcome back to Worst Seats in the House. Michael Russo and Anthony LaPanta coming to you before our flight today uh, over to Europe. We're going through Paris. And uh, Anthony, excited? Very excited. It's uh, everybody. We've been talking about this for a couple of years, really. And I have yet to have anybody share any story with me about the cities we're going to visit that has been anything less than you're going to love it. And little tips, hey, see this, check this out, try this while you're there. And not one person has said anything like, ah, I thought it was just okay. <laughs> so I'm really excited about it. It's yeah. It feels like it's just been a really long time coming. Yeah. So Bill, this was supposed to be the yeah. summer of 2020. Yep. Uh, Bill Guerin, yesterday at development camp, uh, the tournament, he was telling me that Vienna is one of the most incredible cities that he's ever been to. So and almost looking, everybody I've yeah. talked to has said Budapest, Budapest yeah. or Prague yeah. have been. So I'm looking forward yeah. to the trip. I've been in Prague, and Prague was incredible. And Prague is one of those cities, too, that when you walk around, you realize how young relatively our country is, right? I mean, you were walking on cobblestone streets, uh, like old town, like Prague there is just incredible. Which I've felt in every place we've gone in yep. Europe. No that doubt. It's, you realize that when you walk the Freedom Trail in Boston and feel the history of the United States, and then you go to Siena yep. and realize, <laughs> hey, these walls were built in 1200 yeah. to... Yeah. Roman uh, battles. Right, and, and to make sure that the people were safe yeah. and they the town died because they were under siege, and these are the same walls behind which they hid it's unreal it is unbelievable yeah, it's uh it's crazy uh, august 8th at tuttles is our next live show that's at 7 p.m we're going to do uh two live shows in august um so august 8th is our next one and we're actually going to do i believe three live shows in um the month of september so that'll be really exciting uh and anthony and i are going to do a podcast from our european vacation uh, with uh, a bunch of the wild fans that are coming on the trip as well, maybe we'll do it from the hotel bar. One of these, uh, one of these um, trips, and maybe we'll, the wild will make some news before then uh, to make the podcast really fun. Um, since our last podcast on Monday, um, Anthony uh, Cam Talbot traded to the Ottawa Senators for Philip Gustafson, and that's a huge change from the podcast because the one thing about that podcast is I said that every impression that I was getting inside the organization was that they were not going to trade Cam Talbot even though I felt it was the right move to do not because of getting rid of Cam Talbot because but for the increased cap space I just felt like that made the most sense um and I will say that uh so we did the podcast on a Monday I had actually talked to people inside the organization on Sunday and even on that day um on Sunday Bill Guerin was not inclined to trade inclined to trade Cam Talbot. Um, that was made extremely clear to me. And next thing you know, on Tuesday, Cam Talbot's traded to Ottawa. And I just think that that you know, I'll just say what Bill Guerin has said is that he had a change of heart, that he really started to think about it and realize after talking with Cam and his agent that this was, even though there was no firm trade request, that this was the best thing for him and the organization. And the benefit is they get two point six seven million in extra cap space. The extra cap space will, Actually, a little more. Than yeah, that. and it's really, I mean, that we have to wait to see what happens. We don't know exactly how that's going to play out. With how tight they are, the extra cash is certainly going to come into play at some point, some way, somehow, that will help. And I really think until that happens, you can't evaluate this trade. Because on the surface, they're not better after this trade. They, they aren't. And... But if that cash allows them to add a piece, whether it be now, closer to the season, at the trade deadline, whatever flexibility that extra cash gives them, 
might well turn out to be a, a major difference maker. I get the sense, and I haven't really, I haven't talked to Billy about this at all yet, and and won't until we get closer to the season, and and maybe never will. I get the sense that he immediately had this, at least in the back of his mind. I know he was saying all the things that I don't care what the agent says, we're going forward with two. We've seen the way he operates, and the seeds of doubt had to be planted immediately for him. And I'm sure in the back of his mind, he was at least, I'm going to see, we got to see what potential fits there might be in the trade market. And at least was open-minded to it. I'm not saying I think he was immediately determined, like walked away from that conversation and said, that's it, I'm trading this guy. I I believe I take him at his word that he was, when he kept saying, we're going into the season with two goalies, that that's what he was intending to do. But I think in the back of his mind, maybe someday we'll know that I, I think the seeds of doubt were at least there. Yeah. I mean, it was a similar thing to what we now know in hindsight about the decision to buy out Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter was the seeds of doubt were in his mind almost immediately. And he gave it a year before he made the decision that, yes, we're going to do this. But it was pretty quick that he had realized there's something here I don't like. And he's been quick to do that. Now, you know what I found out pretty recently? Originally, they they were when he presented this to Craig Leopold, he just wanted to do Suter and uh, not both of them. Right. Like, well, I was just figured it'd be crazy about and not that. I thought we had talked about that before. No, I was... found this out like it was it was news to me fairly recently. Hmm. And um, and then obviously they decided to go. Um, but I think that what that shows you is how much they just wanted to part ways with Ryan. You know, I mean, I think that's pretty fair. Um, that, that, that's well, I, and I do. think it was that he wanted to change he, he's he's a guy that believes a ton in culture, mm-hmm. and that's why I think that the seed of doubt was probably planted immediately when he maybe even going back to the playoffs last year when Cam voiced his displeasure, and I'm sure there was at least a part of Billy that respected it and said, "Hey, the guy wanted to play. He played great down the. I get it, but at the same time." I'm not positive that's going to work, especially if he was able to get a flurry to come back. Now, flurry doesn't come back. Talbot's still here. He's the number one guy, and no doubt. and it's all moving forward. But this is this will be interesting to see how this works out because I respect the way he's trying to build the culture, and it clearly worked last year. The locker room was a different place. It was a better place. It was a big reason why the team was successful, and. At some point, you have to be able to assimilate other personalities and people in there, too. You can't just every time a guy does something that makes you think he might not be all in, say, okay, well, then you're out. Mm-hmm. Because eventually you have to have 20 guys in there. So we'll see how it plays out. I uh, yeah, uh, The extra cash will be interesting to see how, yeah. that, how that comes into play. We'll talk about that in a second. Let's talk about the actual goalie situation now. I mean, a lot of this, as you mentioned, we're going to have to wait and see how, how where this uh, trade ends up, if, how good it is. But a lot of it really does depend on two things. One, can Marc-Andre Fleury, at soon to be 38 years old, play 60 games, maybe more? And can Philip Gustafson be a much better goalie than we've seen at the AHL and the NHL level? Now, I kind of um, scoff and or, or don't take it totally seriously, his numbers in the AHL, because he was thrust into that position at 20 years old, really young. Um, but he hasn't been great down there. 
and his NHL numbers are, have obviously not been good at all. So he, they are going to need him to win games and to spell Marc-Andre Fleury. And so that is going to be what's dependent. You know, that's going to really determine on can Marc-Andre play now when he thought there was going to be about a 50-50 split. Can he play now 18 or 19 more games than he probably in his own mind thought he could play? I don't think that it's a huge problem. I mean, this guy won the Vesna last year, but that's a big issue. But two, can Gustafson win games for them? And he's going to have to, yeah, without a doubt. That's the point. I know that's the point you're making. But isn't is it? Isn't it funny? Instead like, of playing yeah. 44 games, yeah. now he's got to play 55 yeah. to 58, probably. Because it is funny. Because the one thing that I've I've said multiple times in writing and on here is that I always thought that the Wild, once they got Flurry, should trade Talbot and then go sign like a million dollar backup like Charlie Lindgren because I believe that that guy can win games. And now they save a little more money by actually going and making the trade for Talbot with with for a goalie, but. The question, there's no doubt the jury is out on whether or not Gustafson could be a real player in this league. He's done it great. He's done it well at international levels, but so far as a North American pro, we haven't seen it. Haven't. And the only way the Wild contend is if he not only plays 20, 25 games, but wins. Has to win some of those games, yeah. without a doubt. And we'll see. And the other thing is that you just don't know what's going to happen with Wallstead. I know that the plan here would be to have Wallstead play the whole year in Iowa and and then come up and be the the backup, if not the part-time starter the following season. But, you know, even McIntyre is just an insurance policy signing. I, who knows? I mean, maybe he's capable of, or as capable as Gustafson of coming up and winning some games. We'll see. Yeah, no doubt. By the way, all the flies that are floating around here is this still stemming from when i kept from when you left open? the door open okay yeah, sorry. yeah we invite we invite michael over for dinner the other night and you know, have some tremendous steaks we sit out on the patio have some cocktails a happy hour and vacation is starting for us at that point free agency day is done i'm done with twins duty until we get back from the trip everything is great until he comes inside from the patio for dinner and leaves the door open in Minnesota at dusk in the summertime. Mm -hmm. So yes, we have like a thousand insects in our house right now. The good news is I just Googled what is the lifespan of a fly and a house fly lives 28 days. So when you get back to Europe, most of these will be dead. Yeah, only two weeks left. Well, yeah. do they reproduce during those 28 days? Probably. Yeah, so yeah, that, it could be, could, be a, could be a perpetual thing. <laughs> if we can get uh, Orkin to sponsor this podcast. <laughs> What's uh, funny is watching Stanley and Phil because they'll be just kind of laying on the couch and all of a sudden a fly will go by and they'll lun they think they can catch it. Yeah. So Phil will lunge off the couch at a fly. and Now, to, to my defense, I followed Ariana in the house. Margo was outside getting the rest of the wine glasses. Who knew that Margo was not going to follow me into the house, that she would go all the way around the house in the garage? Makes no sense, her path. Well, she was probably putting some stuff away from the patio that goes in the garage. I got you. Just when, as a general it was rule, only The door was only open for not, about an hour. Not, and not to mention <laughs> the fact that it's like, it's middle of summer in Minnesota. It's humid as hell. Yeah. So we do have air conditioning on as well. So just as a general rule from here forward, like Close when you come in the house... Mm -hmm. just close the door behind you. Okay, I will do that if from now on. If the next person has to open it, yeah. they're usually capable of doing so. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, uh, let's talk about that extra cap space. So to this point, the Wild have not uh, signed a player. They still need definitely one more forward on the team. 
whether that comes from the miners or, or somebody. But sure, I mean, again, talking to Bill Guerin yesterday, he plans to go and add a player. The, the question is, does that player come via free agency or does that player come via trade? Um, the Wild have about um, $4.3 million in cap space right now. Not a ton, though. Like, I don't know where the f- I mean, some of the fans now on Twitter are just so like I think we have so many fans out there that want to play reporter now that it was just hilarious to me. The number of people that thought the Cam Talbot for Philip Gustafson was going to lead to Evgeny Malkin on the wild. Like how that was going to work, I think is hysterical. But regardless, um, you know, Marco Rossi, 863, assuming he makes the team. So now that brings the cap space down to about 3.4. But you got to you know, you're starting the season potentially with Merrill and Greenway on IR, but that doesn't give you more cap space unless you're going in LTI and they have to miss 10 games or 28 days, I believe it is. So I don't think the Wild think that they're going to miss that. So really, Addison Beckman, if they make the team safe for Greenway and Merrill, um, they're going to essentially take up the majority of that cap space, plus the Wild have to leave extra room for internal um, additions. So the Wild are still looking at a bargain via free agency, or as Bill Guerin has alluded, you know, I think he's waiting for other teams, like say maybe Columbus, Edmonton, some of these teams that now have to make some trades to uh, essentially afford a Goudreau or whoever. I think he's going to try to see if he can get some bargains that way. Um, but th- there's no doubt at some point the Wild are going to add a player here, Anthony. They are. And I actually, this is one area where I, I think Billy was right to, to not bite on. It's always a day where everybody gets overpaid and teams know it. They know they, but it's just the way of the world. They have to do it in order to get guys on these days. And then you sign the contract and spend the rest of the term of the contract trying to overcome the overpayment. And look at the dollars that guys got on this day. I mean, the guys like the middle of the road guys, the guys like Andrew Kopp and Andre Pallott, didn't he get like $6 million a year close mm-hmm. to it? I mean, they're good players, but... Yeah, but Kucherov doesn't come with him. <laughs> you know? Right, and, and guys like the Red Wings... Paid Sherratt, I think, almost $5 million bucks a year. And Mason Marchment got like $5 million a year. And these are guys that, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm a little off. I'm thinking of these guys as like $2 million a year players. Yeah. And they're they're all getting four and a half, five, five and a half million per for middle of the lineup guys at yeah. best. And so maybe it's best just to wait. And you use that extra cap space in a trade where you acquire somebody that's that's making a little bit more than who you're dealing. I just don't think any of those guys that were out there, even if you even if you just take what the Wilds number is and say, okay, let's look at the guys who got paid that amount, I wouldn't have paid that amount for any of those guys. Well, and, and look, I mean, I think that this is, you know, the one thing that Billy did this summer is he said that I don't want to overpay or just pay for somebody that I'm lukewarm on because their cap situation is what it is. And frankly, I mean, that is kind of what he did last summer. You know, when they lost out on Nick Felino, they were scrambling to get defensemen down the stretch. And I guarantee you, I mean, you, do you think he wanted to give Kulikov 225 or even at that point, Merrill? I mean, they, you know, I don't think those guys were like people that they pursued immediately in free agent. They were, they were, there was a handful of defensemen left and they went with those guys. So what he did last summer is he tried to not do this summer. And so like right but now, just, just, if you look at the guys that, so let's just say that their window was two and a half to three and a half. I mean, look at the guys that got paid in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about guys like 
Frank Vetrano and Brett Kulak and Ilya Lyabushkin. I mean, none of those guys fit with what the Wild need or, in my opinion, are worth yeah. what they got paid. Um, just a... a, a- Open up a story on the athletic. The best available players still to go. We'll just really quickly go through them and just say, can, can any of these guys even fit? Obviously, Kadri can't. Um, even Nino Niederreiter. I mean, that's gonna be interesting. I mean, I, what I've been told by sources is so Nino fired his agent, hired Alan Walsh. Alan went with what the market is for what Nino is supposed to get, and that's I think he shot at a big number. And Carolina not only scoffed at it, they replaced him immediately. And now Nino is really in some trouble here because one, who's paying him five, six, seven million at this point? He's one of those players that might have to come down on a one-year deal somewhere. Absolutely. Um, but man, and what's really coincidental about that is that Nino's essentially replaced by Max Pacioretty, who's also an Alan Walsh client. Isn't that crazy? And then it, they go it, out and it, get It is Kasha. funny how many times those things happen. Yeah. Where it's one guy that he's yeah. representing replaces yeah. another. And I, you know, Nino's going to have to just take a year probably on a bet on himself kind yep. of contract and say, I'm going to prove I still have something. But it's, it's a game of chicken yeah. on those free agency days. And do you want to just right away roll the dice and say, I'll just take a one-year deal at three million bucks and prove it to myself? That's what Strom just did. Dylan Strom did that with Washington, right? And we'll see. I mean, I I think Nino can still help. He can still play. Yeah. Won't be here, though. I I don't get the impression the Wild would even entertain that. Um, You know, like to me, do you want Nino at $3 million or do you want to give Adam Beckman that shot to maybe, if Greenway's not ready, start off there? I'd rather see Beckman. Um, Paul Stasny, and you, everybody knows how much I like Nino. Stasny's somebody I would consider, but I don't get the impression the Wild love him. They've had ample opportunity in the past to get him. Um, I the like one area where he would help those faceoffs. Exactly. Like that, I, to me, know, it's he, like if he's I would your fourth line guy, maybe. Yeah. Um, Evan Rodriguez. Um, I don't get the impression the Wild are high on him. Sonny Milano, the Wild are not high on. Um, Sam Steele is somebody I think the Wild would consider. Danton Heinen, I honestly haven't asked. Tyler Mott is somebody that's interesting to me. Zach Aston Reese is somebody I like, but I don't get the impression the Wild do. Um, and uh, there's guys like Yanmark, Yarncrock. Obviously, we know the Wild aren't signing Ryan Donato. They're not signing Phil Kessel as much as Pat Micheletti is campaigning for him again, like he's 20. Um, Tyler Ennis, probably somebody else that he's uh, campaigning no. for. Um, Nico Stern just signed with uh, San Jose. Uh, Sprong, and then uh, Rem Pitlick. These are the best of the rest. We know the Wild aren't signing him. You know one thing I will say, and uh, I don't want to take... Dan sh- the one, uh, one name on that list yeah. that intrigues me a little bit, yeah. too. Me, too, because I sat next to him on a plane to Vancouver, and what a great guy. Yeah, and that's um, not, that has nothing to do with my... Um, so, hey, just one thing I do want to say before we uh, you know, talk about some of the uh, uh, incredible sponsors of this show is, is Cam Talbot. Yesterday, again, I brought this up in the last podcast, the talking out of both sides of his mouth, acting so innocent here is insane. Like he on his conference call yesterday said that this was just something that played out and was overblown in the media and that he had some ill will toward the organization. It was wasn't like that at all. And he like will not explain like what he means by that. Like, uh, excuse me. We watched your agent yelling at Bill Guerin. We watched, Bill Guerin couldn't have made it clearer clearer that you were not happy with the 50-50 split. This is not something that blew up in the media. This is, your your wife tweeted at, after what, the season. This is what why this all happened. Say, right. like, like, I don't understand what Cam's trying to do here. Like, he can, and when he, by the way, says this, he's obviously talking about me. And like, all, like, you know, I did not overblow that stuff at the end of the year. Clearly, it was an issue in the, in the Talbot household. He basically admitted that he wasn't happy with it. And then when I'm watching an hour after the flurry announcement, 
um, is announced, his agent hot with Bill Guerin. Is this, I didn't, in, I didn't invent this stuff. This isn't a figment, figment of my imagination. Bill Guerin wanted a Flurry Talbot 50-50 split and traded him for a reason. This was not a media invention. Like, it's just, it's amazing. And I love Cam, but like enough with this BS. Just say what, say you weren't happy with the 50-50 split. Right. And I, say you weren't happy with the way they treated you down the stretch. But don't blame this on the media. Well, that, that always bothers me when guys God. will do that. But, and I, Bill's quote to you after the, the, the argument with the agent or the discussion with the agent tells you exactly what that way. It was not. It was not a fabrication. To me, the thing I was just going to say is they should just take social media away from players' wives <laughs> because that, to me, was the root of all of this. Cam handled everything professionally in front of the media and supposedly behind the scenes with the teammates and everything. Not That when he didn't – and I, he should have been upset. He played better than Marc-Andre Fleury down the stretch, and they started Marc-Andre in the playoffs. He should have been – every player would be upset. Every player has a little bit of an ego and edge to him. It's part of what makes these guys the best in the world at what they do. Had every reason to be disappointed that he didn't get a chance to start in the playoffs. He had been the guy all season long. But if his wife doesn't post a bunch of stuff on social media, what might be happening or being discussed inside the walls of his home it doesn't become public knowledge. And it's not the first time it's happened, and it just – it it's defies logic to me that sometimes they don't understand. I get it. They love their husband. They they live and die when they, when he comes home and he's frustrated and he's angry and he's upset and and he he shares his feelings to his wife. Keep that inside the walls of your house. But as soon as they feel the need to, they think they're supporting their husband and instead they're throwing gasoline on a fire. And it isn't the first time it's happened, and won't be the last. But I just. Sometimes I think they have to understand that, well, they're just doing it because I get it. They're doing it because they, they want to support their husband and they feel badly, but they're not helping the situation. And you know what's really interesting to me is, um, and, and last point on this topic, is if, if one of my colleagues at The Athletic doesn't alert me to this George Bezos thing out of happenstance that, that we all saw, it just, to me, um, like we would have been blindsided by a trade of Cam Talbot. Like it, it's, it's almost hilarious. Like the only reason why any of this stuff was a topic the last four or five days before the trade was just because of the, of, of seeing Bezos and Garen and then putting obviously two and two together that if Bezos is hot at Garen, it's clearly about Talbot because it's his only client on the wild. So it's just kind of interesting. Um, I wanted to tell everybody about the whole home Connecticut water treatment system. It's for $222 off. We all want th uh, less things to worry about, and that includes our water. Whether it's our drinking water or the water used for showers, washing clothes, or dishes, you just want to turn on a faucet and not worry about it. That's what my friends over at Aquarius Home Services in Connecticut did for me, and I absolutely love my system in my house. Um, it's worry-free, peace-of-mind water. Connecticut provides the world's most efficient water treatment system with no electricity. It uses significantly less salt, and you will get 24-7 soft water throughout your entire home or your cabin. Aquarius Home Services in Connecticut is offering $222 off a whole home Connecticut water treatment system. Get started with a free water analysis from Aquarius. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention, Russo sent you. And here's a word from Royal Credit Union. Take the checking account challenge from Royal Credit Union. 
Compare your checking account to Royal and see why it makes sense to switch. Royal's checking accounts have no hidden fees and lots of free features that make it easy to stay on top of your money. You can deposit checks with the Royal's mobile app, receive real-time notifications when transactions happen, and even freeze your debit card in seconds. See what other features you're missing out on and make the switch to a Royal checking account at rcu.org slash royalchallenge, insured by NCUA. Well, we were just talking earlier in the show about a great steak dinner we had on our patio, and we tried these new 40-day dry-aged steaks they have at Kowalski's. And I'm telling you, give them a shot. You will not be disappointed. I walked by the that night, had no idea what I was going to get, just knew we were going to entertain. And I walked by and took a look at these steaks, and they were phenomenal. You can even weigh in. Now, as long as you're willing to close the door after you eat, they, yeah. were, they, were, they were incredible steaks. Were no, they they were. They were absolutely unreal, um, you know, uh, cooked by a fabulous chef. Yeah, tremendous marbling. We had the strips that night and the couple fillets. It was awesome. Just trust those guys at the counter when you go in there because they know what they're talking about. If Sometimes just ask them, hey, what looks the best tonight? And it's a little bit different every day. I mean, these are they, There's some variance in these. So... When you stop by there, if you're going to entertain, if you have great guests coming over or even mediocre guests you can't trust to close the door, but you want to feed them, go to Kowalski's and start with the best ingredients. Somebody from uh, from uh, Twitter just uh, named Autumn just uh, tweeted me. said, safe travels today. Anthony LaPanta, Russo Hockey. My parents have been looking forward to this trip, and uh, her parents are two of the, the, one of the couples on this trip. So oh, that would nice. be really, really cool. Uh, let's talk about development camp, Anthony. Uh, you were there on um, on Tuesday and Wednesday? Just Tuesday. Okay, and uh, you missed the three-on-three tournament because you had a big uh, Hockey Day Minnesota press conference yesterday in White Bear Lake. Um, but, um, you know, man, uh, th- so the Wild going into this draft had, the, uh, according to The Athletic, the fourth-best prospect pool in the NHL. Um, now there are a lot of people, after the eight picks the Wild added, um, pr- hockey prospecting The Athletic that have put them in the top two. And I think we saw it out there on the ice today, uh, this week. I mean, obviously, Marco Rossi and Adam Beckman are the two big names. But the one thing I will say, watching Jesper Wallstadt yesterday, holy crap, is he good. And then there are a lot of kids that, you know, maybe didn't get a lot of publicity in the in the draft. Hunter Haight, Milne, Ryan Healy, these guys look like they're the real deals. But the other thing I was watching is Brock Faber is a stud. I like and Faber Carson a lot. Lambos, like he was the one guy I was really shocked because the one thing I'm really fascinated by and we have some questions that we'll get to on Twitter, Anthony, is that people are saying, well, all these defensemen, when are they going to start making trades? But event, but the one thing the Wild have to do is they almost have to rank, all right, what is the prospect pool in terms of defensemen in the organization? Well, I could tell you for a fact that Carson Lambos is number one on that list of seven or eight. I thought he looked great. I, I've seen Brock Faber a lot at the University of Minnesota and then watched him in the international events, and I, I really like his game. And I, he's a smooth skater that is really efficient in his own zone. I I think Faber has a chance to be a really good player. A couple of the other, I I thought Lambos was better than a couple of the other defensemen. I thought he moved better. I really think this is an exciting group of guys, though. And what I kept thinking as I was watching it is, kind of goes in cycles. Like, remember the 10 years ago, prospect camp had Zucker and Granlund and Brodeen, and you were looking at these guys saying, these guys are different. These guys are going to be something special. And they were. They all turned out to be very good, if not great, NHL players. And then there was a stretch of about four years where you felt like there's not a guy here 
that I think has a chance to be an impact player in the NHL. And now all of a sudden, these last two years, you remember last year, it was Boldy and Rossi. It was watching Beckman. It was, there are some guys here that now you look at, and not only do you know they're going to be a part of the future of the organization, but you look at them and say, this guy's got a chance to be a really good player. And I still, I love watching Rossi play. I, I think we're, we're going to see a really good NHL player this season in Marco Rossi. Yeah, um, I know I keep on talking about Hunter Hate, but he just impressed me. So I was there. I didn't go Wednesday because of free agency, but I, he impressed me Tuesday and yesterday. He was awesome. So yesterday in the championship. So the way they did yesterday is it wasn't like a three-on-three tournament length of the ice. They had two half sheets, small small hockey type uh, drills and all that. So it was a three-on-three. And so we. Um, uh, when the championship was going on in the corner by the coaches, I went and I watched it with Brett McLean, Bob Woods, and Dean Evison. And Darby was a couple feet away as well. And there's a penalty, and Hunter Haight gets on a, quote, penalty shot in this small ice game. He scores a sick goal, and then he turns toward the corner, and he does one of those where he, like, kisses his blade. And I loved it. I think the coaches loved it. But you could see him actually look up and see all the coaches. And then you could see he was like trying to like almost pretend that he wasn't doing it. But I could tell you the coaches love that stuff. And and they love that that brashness, right? I mean, the one thing when I was talking with Dean Evison yesterday is that, you know, his big concern with Lambos last year um, was, you know, he seemed a little meek, shy, maybe not as aggressive. And now when he sees him around all the guys now and the way he's playing, he sees a totally different type of Carson Lambos and they are just so high on this guy. But the coaches love that type of stuff. You know, they don't want guys to sit there and, oh, they got to act professionally all the time right. and, you know, not, not you know, act like, oh, I've been there before. I, Hunter Haight is a stud. He, he is. And it was interesting that you brought him up because he was the guy that I watched I think I saw him score three, four, five times in some little drills. Yeah, and I had Top to go. Shelf, I like, had to go get a roster. Yeah, I was like, yeah. who, "Who? I don't even know who this forty-three guy is." And I went and grabbed a roster. I still didn't know who he was, but I watched him. And I was, I stood in the corner that day with the coaching staff, and I turned to Darby, and because we were watching some of the guys that we knew a little bit more and talking a little bit about him, and he had just met, you know, some of the draft picks, and I said, "How about this forty-three and?" Darby said, I had said, I, I watched him flip a couple into the upper corner. And he said, I was like, I, I couldn't believe it. And small area plays, high skilled plays. They were doing a, that day they did a little like two on two, two on three kind of drill. And he was the one guy who every time he was on yeah. the ice, there's a scoring chance. So sometimes those guys surface in yeah. these kind of settings and it's just fun to watch. And their first, one of their two first-round picks this year, Liam Ogren, yesterday was outstanding as well. So, uh, so that was good to see. One other guy that um, you know I know very little about that was a draft pick a couple years ago is Kyle Masters. He seemed to score every single shift yesterday. Um, so that was pretty cool to see. How and about then, Totino Grace's own Sam Henches? Yeah, he, he was, looked pretty yep, good. He was good. Um, and uh, he's gotten bigger. Yep. O'Rourke looks to me much, much better. Um, Hunter Jones yesterday, who had a really tough year, I thought he was really good. Um, and then I will say I watched Max Strand a lot, the uh, Mr. Hockey that was on invitee, and he looked like he's going to be a player as well. Um, obviously not a wild draft pick, but somebody was there. Pierre Maguire's son was there too, Ryan. Big guy. Um, and uh, he looked pretty good. So um, 
So uh, yeah, it was fun uh, being at development camp. Um, Sully, uh, your mutual, our, our mutual friend, uh, sent me a, a text uh, ripping on me for not writing about development camp. So if I get <laughs> actually, a little... he sent both of us a text yeah. asking for coverage about it. Yeah, and I just responded with that I was on vacation. Yes. So uh, if um, I have to write a forward for a book on this flight uh, today to Paris, um, if I am still wide awake after, I'm actually going to write a development camp story. And that'll hopefully give me a couple things to do for a couple hours on this plane. And you have to slum it out. in Peasantville with yeah. me? In, well, in, in I no- did get comfort, but I uh, I did not. So the other day, um, it was like going to cost me three grand if I wanted to go up to Delta One. And I considered it and I decided not to. And then, of course, now you can't buy Delta One anymore because the plane sold out. And now it's like, maybe I should have spent the three grand, you know, uh, slept, enjoyed myself. I feel bad for the person next to me. Um, for as eight do hours. I. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I just, so I I'm gonna can't be the imagine. one person we're going to be like flying overnight. And I'm going to be just pounding on my keyboard. Right. right. I won't be, I'll be the guy with my feet stretched out, yeah. probably snoring, but the, I'll be anxious to see because the, on previous trips, when we've arrived in Europe, it's been after you had your cushy first class, laying in a bed, sleeping, where we were up all night. And now now this year, it'll be the Russo on no sleep arriving in Paris. Maybe a little thin on patience. Yeah. That this, this could be an interesting first day. Yeah. And we, and we connect, too. So uh, I'm going to have to make sure I'm awake. Hopefully make that connection. We only have like an hour. Um, I'm going to have to figure out a way. I don't know. Like, is it, is it like... If you buy like a Tylenol PM, but you don't like, you're not like, like just to knock you out. Is that like a healthy thing to just take like a, a like sort of a sleep aid when you don't, like, I don't take Ambien. I should, uh, like, uh, I don't even know how to get a prescription for Ambien. I really should take him, but I, but like you if I buy like something. Tylenol PM, but take it with no symptoms, is that, uh, is that okay to knock me out on this plane? I'm sure it is. I'm, I, I don't take them cause I know it'll come as a shock to you. I have no problem yeah, sleeping or seen, sleeping through yeah, anything. It's very obnoxious, but I, I gotta believe it would work. I don't think the pill jumps into your system and starts looking around and says, wait, there's no symptoms. I'm just going to keep this guy awake. <laughs> How about the 18 <laughs> coffees I'm going to have before this flight? Yeah. Well, I'm on my last one here cause I'm going to switch to, I'm going to switch to a cocktail as soon as we get to the airport. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, it'll be, I a, don't have a story to write yeah. on the flight. So it, um, it will be uh, a really fun, fun trip. Uh, let's take some Twitter questions and then uh, we'll wrap up the show. Um, but uh, first uh, here's a word from Bosch law firm. Hey, hockey fans, Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. If you're thinking about selling your home, now is the time. Now you can get a strong cash offer, sell your home stress-free with a guaranteed offer with Chris Lindahl Real Estate. Don't worry about the hassle of constant cleaning and home maintenance. Sell your home with Chris Lindahl 
today. Go to chrislindahl.com, fill out a quick form, receive an all-cash offer on your home today. There's no obligation. The guaranteed offer allows you to bypass the market and sell your home hassle-free. That means no showings, no open house, zero stress. Just choose when you want to move, and you will close with confidence. The Wall Street Journal named Chris Lindahl Real Estate the number one real estate team in Minnesota and Wisconsin for closed transactions. It was uh, This is Chris Lindahl's real estate guaranteed offer. It keeps you in control. It's that simple. Go to chrislindahl.com to get a Chris guaranteed offer on your home today so you could start packing. Certain restrictions apply. All right, Anthony, let's go to Twitter questions. We talked about development camp, so uh, so Gus Horner, uh, that's your question there. Actually, a lot of people asked me. Uh, Bing Bong asked me, uh, and you, um, his Twitter account name is not a sports writer. Um, I wish. But a lot his of name is Bing Bong. Um, I can't remember. I already deleted. Well, it. Well, I got one that Wild I thought. Wild Boy is fifty nine. Goes. Uh, do you like Tyler Mott? Not really. Okay. I, I, there was one question I saw that actually caught my attention today. It came from a guy named Mike Showalter who said, what was your best learning mistake? And he follows it up with Anthony can't answer for Russo. So that right away caught my attention. So what's your, what is your, I'm assuming what he means is what mistake have you made in life from which you learn the most? As mm. as in a career, we'll in say, not career. like in life. I mean, I my entire career has been, I mean, about making mistakes and learning from it. I mean, I talked about it the other day. I mean, um, maybe on that. No, no, I, I can't remember where I mentioned this, but um, maybe it was on my live room that I did on The Athletic the other day. Is the one thing that I think a lot of young sports writers going into free agency and trade deadline needs to be wary of is agents. You know, we all use agents as sources on those days they're extremely beneficial but the one thing you do have you can't just throw everything you hear out there you have to double and triple source things and an example i'm not going to give you the names but i got a couple texts out of the blue on free agent day hey the wilder on this guy this is why it makes sense blah 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 and the one thing is like it's you have to realize that an agent's job is to drum up interest maybe let another team think the wilder involved and to up their price maybe that player is getting zero interest and they got to they want to just almost publicize them and they sort of pick a you know somebody that's been covering the league for a long time that's got a log, large social media presence and so this happened to me twice the other day where I got text messages from two agents that basically is like, you know, pumping up their client. And before putting out anything, oh, the Wild are in on this guy or this guy may make sense, I checked with Wild sources that gave me, uh, no, uh, we are not in on him or we have no interest in him or no effing way, that type of thing. So that's one thing I will say is that Agents, you always have to figure out what is the motivation that a source is giving you information rather than just throwing everything out there. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, but I've made so many mistakes um, over my career, and you learn every day is a learning experience, uh, even at the age that I am and the years that I've covered the league. Well, and I concur that every day to me is still a learning experience. I, I will, I can honestly say that I leave. I'd say almost every broadcast thinking something I could have done better that night, mm -hmm. whether it be from a preparation standpoint, an organizational standpoint, uh, uh, or uh, just timing, something that, yeah, you know what, I, I should have done this, or I wish I would have done this. And, and my preparation has evolved over the years because of that. My game sheets are different each year a little bit in something that I tweak that 
you know what? Last year, I wished I would have had this. So I'm going to keep track of it from day one this year. Yeah. So there's things like that. But I think I thought you were going to say something like when I open up a bottle of champagne on a game day, you put the <laughs> bottle facing the cork sideways. Yeah. Yeah. I've this year has been a there have been a couple of those for sure. Like champagne corks. I am now very, very careful about those. <laughs> and I have gone back to opening them for a short time. I made somebody else in the family open them since that day. But yeah, I mean, there's there's stuff like that, but I think the biggest thing for it's me... It's like when I uh, had a horrible experience once years and years ago with Goldschlager, and I haven't had Goldschlager since. Yeah, sometimes you have to learn that too, <laughs> right? You learn that yeah. there are things maybe the night before that you should yeah. stay away from, but I think the biggest thing, and I wouldn't, I don't want to get into the specifics of one, of one mistake, but you have to be really careful about what you're willing to... And you just shouldn't. You should just be a great, be a good person, be a good team player at all times. Because any time that you don't, any time that you're not, it it's inevitable that somehow, some way, it comes full circle and and it can clip you. So it's one of the yeah. pieces of advice I always give young when people call me and say yeah. they they want advice on how to get into the broadcasting business. I say number one, be willing to do anything. Yeah. And don't ever look at anybody around you and question either how hard they're working, their talent level, anything else. Just focus on yourself. A hundred percent. And just be great at what you do and worry about that only and not anything else. Well, especially in my business, like I think, and it's probably every business, but in my business, you're always like, you know, it's sort of like a hockey player, right? You're always looking at like, who's the young guy that's going to take my job. And I used to always worry like, all right, I got to be um, the best at what I do. And um, Brad Hunt just signed with the Colorado Avalanche. Yes. Anyway, um, anyway, uh, like, but to get back to that point, the one thing I learned years ago is just be confident in your own skin and try to help the young reporters. Like, like I always remember I started as a sports writer at 15 and I had all these mentors and those people helped me get to where I am today. And so I try to pay it forward now, pay it back now. And that's why I always meet with young, you know, like you see before almost every podcast, I'm sitting down with somebody, you know, at a, a you know, hey, podcast is at seven, come at six and we'll chat. Um, I got an incredible uh, text mess, uh, voicemail the other day from a colleague of mine at The Athletic that is about, I won't say who it is, but you'll all see soon, that's about to leave us and go to ESPN. And he left me, this amazing voicemail, um, just telling me how good a person I am and how much he really appreciated all my advice over the years and blah, 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 blah. And it's one of those voicemails I'll cherish forever because it kind of reminded me, this is why I'm always so good to young reporters because I try to help them out and give them advice on how to do this job and things like that. So that's a good yeah, question, and, and Mike Showalter. It is. And I, I, for me, one of the guys who really helped me when I first got out of college was Ralph Strangis. Yeah. And I reached out to him only, I didn't know him really, but he, I had met him. What a pipeline at TG. Two. Yeah. For a while, I, we had to be the only high school in America that had two NHL play-by-play -play guys yeah. at the same time. And so that was why I reached out to him. I said, hey, you know, he was, I don't know how many years ahead of me at TG, maybe 10. And I said, I'm a TG guy. And we went and, and met. We had lunch one day. He for what he gave me a lot of for whatever it's worth kind of advice. Was clear to quick to say, look, if you ask ten people, they're going to give you ten different pieces of advice on how to pursue this as a dream job. But he allowed me to help him on the North Stars highlight video that spring, which 
opened my eyes to some production stuff, which I later really enjoyed getting into the behind the scenes, producing teams, highlight videos and that kind of thing. But it also, he was a perfect example of this. They needed a guy to do the highlight video. He was the radio color guy and said, I'll do it. And from that day forward, it has, I've always kept that in my mind that look, whatever they say they need. Last night was a perfect example. You mentioned earlier, I went out to White Bear Lake to do this Hockey Day Minnesota announcement and a couple of the, co- hey, you know, it's so cool that you're out here. I'm like, I'm out here for one reason. They asked me if I'd be willing to come out here. They asked me, when do you leave for Europe? I said, Friday. They said, oh, Thursday night, could you be in White Bear? Absolutely, I'll be there. And those are all guys, the coaches that I was chatting with last night are all guys that were coaching when I started doing games on local cable television back in the early 1990s. And there were so many stories. There were a couple of kids last night. I was like, oh, wait, Gallatin, or Randy Gallatin? He was like, yeah, how do you, that's my dad. How do you know him? I was like, because I covered his games 27 years ago when he was playing for White Bear Lake. I mean, it's, so there's just stuff like that, that if you just don't overthink it and just be good at it, work hard, but be good to people around you. It's the best piece of it. And just focus on what you're doing and, and do it great. And if you can help, help. And so I did a podcast this morning with a young guy who's Wanted to do a, he wants to do a story on St. John's University football and knew that I had done radio for him for a while. And hey, can you give me a half hour? Absolutely. Just, I'll call you. We'll chat. Johnny football. And, and so there's things like that that you can so easily give back and it takes nothing except a little bit of time. Uh, EK Singer asks, uh, what are you most looking forward to or excited about for the 22-23 season? Let you go first. Well... I'm excited for uh, to see the development of Marco Rossi. I think Rossi and Boldy have been two guys about whom we've been speaking for two, three years in a row now about what they that these guys might be the uh, the part of the backbone of this franchise for the next few years. So I'm really excited to see Boldy in a full season and Rossi potentially in a full season, and just see those two guys as Kaprizov's going to be the the face of the franchise, but these two guys are going to be a big part of it too. So that's, I think, what I'm most excited to see. That's a good answer. That's, that'll, I'll go with the same. Uh, Wild Boys 59 says, uh, do the Wild have interest in Blackwell, Lewis, or Larson? Uh, Larson, the reports are that he's signing with Pittsburgh. I don't know if that's official. Uh, Trevor Lewis, I reported the other day that he's going back to Calgary. I don't know if that's official. Blackwell is somebody that interests me. Like, if you're looking for a bottom six role, penalty killer, you know, I think he's he's interesting. Maybe just to quickly mention, you mentioned Calgary. I mean, what a turn for them. All of a sudden, a team that last year looked like I thought they were the one team that could give Colorado a run in the Western Conference. And now all of a sudden, a gaping hole in their in their lineup, in their future. They didn't really make any kind of a significant signing splash type to replace Johnny Gaudreau. But how bizarre for Johnny Gaudreau to end up in Columbus. I know, it's crazy to me, um, you know, especially when the Devils and the Islanders were coming after him and it offered him, you know, reportedly uh, the Devils offered him more money. He obviously turned down more money from Calgary. He wants to be on that side of the the the, the conference, that conference and everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, franchise-altering move by Columbus. Ottawa obviously had a huge week adding to Brinkett and signing Claude Giroux. And then, um, and then Talbot, and then Carolina um, to get Pacioretty for free. Add Brent Burns. They're going for it right now. Um, yeah, I thought they. I thought that was good. That I haven't looked really closely at 
all of the numbers for Tampa, but I'm shocked they were able to spend the money they did on the guys that they extended for for eight years for guys that you just wouldn't think yeah. that how they can afford those yeah. guys. That's... I mean, uh, man, people take less for to stay there. I mean, Sergachev is going to outprice that contract, and Sorelli will as well. Um, and Chernak really showed me a lot during this playoffs being around him every day. Drew Gorman, chances Kulikov is on another team next year. I think they'd move him. I do hear the Wild are at least quietly testing the waters on Dumbo, which makes sense. It doesn't mean that they're going to trade him. But I, I just think, like, if you had a choice between at some point trading Dumbo or extending him at four and a half million even, I still think you consider trading him. Like you have all these young defensemen, you're just going to block one out by giving Dumba a five or six year deal at four and a half or something. Um, so it just makes sense to me that at least he's testing the waters. But I've been told this by a lot of people. I'm sure Billy, if he was here, would tell me I'm full of it. I'm telling you, uh, it's more than one. I think what he'd say is they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Well, they have talked to a lot of people that say (laughs) that they are uh, uh, working on Dumba. look, I think what we've learned about Billy is that he's listening to anybody. Yeah. And you'd have to to be good at that job. Nothing is absolute. The plans change. Yeah. And if all of a sudden somebody called tomorrow with an offer for Matt Dumba that was, or anybody, frankly, it, it, there might be a couple exceptions that it, but you never know. And I just think he's smart enough to know that whatever plan he has in place five, four, five, six years out can change in a blink of an eye. No and the, I think the Talbot situation is a perfect example of that. And yep. so what the hell, if somebody called tomorrow and said, we really covet Matt Dumba, we think we can sign him for five or six years and you've got a plethora of defensemen coming up, let's make a deal. I, I don't think he'd say no to anything. Tom Apple says, any idea when this year's retro reverse retro Jerseys will be released. I don't even think the league knows that yet, but uh, I know that they're going to start wearing them uh, in early November around the league. There's going to be a limited time, that a limited number of times that each team can wear them, and, and uh, I, I hear the Wild are going to go. They had the white sort of North Stars look, but the uh, last one, I think this one's going to be green. Um, let me... Somebody asked about um, if the Wild are still playing in Milwaukee, so this is a fascinating thing. So originally the Wild thought, uh, you know, that the league... Um, there was a report out of Milwaukee that the league that the Wild were going to play a regular season game in Milwaukee in October. It's now going to be a preseason game, I believe, September 30th in Milwaukee. Um, and the problem is, is the reason why it hasn't been announced yet. So the 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 way I understand it is Chicago is playing all their home preseason games at neutral sites, uh, and the reason why is because season ticket holders scoffed at paying NHL prices for those games. The Wild's game is supposed to be at the Pfizer Center in Milwaukee, September 30th. The league, the the Blackhawks want the Wild to play like a noon game. Well, the Wild have a game at like 7 or 7.30 the night before in Dallas. The Wild are like, hell no. You know, even though it would probably be a totally different roster, you know, you're going to land at 1, 2 a.m. and you're going to have the coaching staff get up at 7 a.m. and go to Milwaukee. You're going to have the trainers. Like, so right now, I don't know if that game's actually going to take place because the Wild are really, you know, fighting with them. So that's that question there. Um, We talked about development camp. Um, Tony asks, uh, are Dewey one and Dewey two both locks to make the contract? I believe so. They both have one way deals. Uh, right now I would think that both have a chance to make it. Um, Davis asks, we can't have all our D prospects playing for the wild. So at some point trading some seem inevitable. Um, true, but that decision, Anthony doesn't have to be made right now. I mean, you have plenty no. of time, you know, let them mature. 
and that can all change. You mentioned earlier uh, a pecking order ranking. That's what their that's what the player development's job is is so that when somebody calls and says we'd like to trade for one of your defensemen, the Wild have an internal list of here is the order in which we value those guys. And it's the same thing you ask your scouts to do when looking at other organizations. We're looking, we we think we can get them to throw in a prospect defenseman. Give me the top three that you've seen in their system. I mean, that's that's what these scouts' jobs are. Yeah. That's what the people that are in charge of scouting the Wild for another organization are tasked with. They are watching the Iowa Wild or and saying, we think... If we're going to get a defenseman from Minnesota, this is how we rank the three defensemen or four defensemen or yeah. whatever. Uh, Chop Kruger asked, do you think that the tough scheduling of 40 games in 77 days or whatever it was played a role in their playoff performance? It seemed like they ran out of gas the last couple of games. What do you think? I think it did, but their schedule was, while heavier than everybody except the Islanders down the stretch, the difference was like two games or three games from most teams. But I do think Minnesota tired at the end of the year and maybe it was maybe it was just uh, the way their team was built St. Louis had a, a few fewer games down the stretch but it wasn't like it was a major difference but there was no doubt Minnesota looked like a team that ran out of steam in that series before St. Louis did yeah Mike Strand two more questions asks uh, does it bug you guys like it bugs me that Garen just wants to make fair hockey trades isn't it his job to win a trade and get as much as he can for each asset um, I, I personally think it's more GM speak, um, you know, I, well, I, don't, I mean, the guy wants to win a trade. You right? do. I mean, yes and no, you, you want to win a trade, but you also, I believe you want to be a guy that other GMs know they can trust because there's going to be a time where you need to make a deal with a like spur of the moment kind of thing, middle of a season guy gets hurt. I just want a, a GM that I can trust and say, look, you know I'm in this spot. I know I'm in this spot. Let's make a deal that's fair as opposed to, well, you have to make a trade right now. So, yep, I'll give you this guy, but you're going to have to throw in this, this, this. Think about it this way, and I know this is a stretch. Fantasy hockey, you call up a guy and you want to make a trade. And, yep, this seems like a fair deal. And all of a sudden, before he says yes, okay, I'll do it, but you got to throw in this. That's Sounds like what you're I think. A Bally's producer. That's what I think Billy is saying when he's like, I don't have to try to win the trade by getting him to throw in like another piece right before we make the deal. If we think it's a fair deal for both sides, let's just make it. So I think that's what he's saying. He Obviously, every guy wants to get the maximum return in a trade, but I think he's just saying, I'm not the guy who's going to try and milk you at the end or try and say I want 15 times what I really think the guy's worth just so that we have negotiation room, I think he's throwing it. No, this is what I think is a fair deal. If you're willing to do this, we'll do it. And, and that's I, how, like, yeah. look at how fast the Sturm-Jost trade happened last year. It was like a matter of hours because both sides said, yep, I think this is a fair deal. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing I'll say is, like, I think where a lot of this stemmed from is when he said, I don't want to use Fiala, uh, save, wait for the draft and leverage, you know, other teams. And, I, you know, again, I don't know if he meant it or if it was just sort of GM speak. Look, I think Jersey had bigger plans. They were going after Goudreau. I think that they were out on Fiala. I don't think 
Fiala was going to, you know, obviously, um, you know, uh, Otto was interested in Fiala, but I just don't think that he was going to sign there long term. So that took them out of a pick of a prospect. Seattle, I heard, might have been interested. But look, Fiala wanted to go long term to L.A. Um, they were always getting a first and a prospect. They liked Brock Faber. That's right. the trade but that he wanted ju- to make. So let's just say, like, what if you had waited and you waited till free agency day? And then all of a sudden, Calgary loses Goudreau, and now they're willing to say, hey, we'll give more for Fiala because we've got this gaping hole. Number one, you didn't know that was going to happen with Calgary and Goudreau. Number two, you don't know for sure that Fiala is going to be willing to sign in Calgary. And But if it had, yes, maybe you could have gotten more, but what if you banked on that happening and you say, okay, if Gaudreau goes to Jersey, now Calgary's going to have some money left over and they're going to want to make a, a deal. Or if Columbus doesn't get Gaudreau, is that a realistic landing yeah. spot? I mean, you just don't know. So you got what you thought was a fair trade. You pulled the trigger and it was done. Yeah. Two more questions uh, because we got to wrap up the show because I'm getting bitten up. Um, random. Yeah, there's too many flies in our house. Yeah. And like now. Well, and probably, we have to get to the airport. Yeah, that's true too. Randomly wild. Uh, how often does uh, LaPanta comb that luscious mane during commercial <laughs> breaks? Uh, tell everybody how you comb your hair because well, it's the most aggravating thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And the guys laugh at me because oftentimes I will all of a sudden, right before a live shot, I'll catch a glimpse of myself on the monitor and it'll look like I just woke up or so I'll grab a bottle of water and dump it in my hand and run it through my hair. And they all laugh and call it. Hey, you got here. Like I got a whole bottle you, of hair. It's like jump. you don't use a comb no, and you don't my, use any product. I use my fingers and, yeah, and a bottle of water, but you know, I'll throw gel in it in the morning before I leave my house. But then for the rest of the day, it might just be like if I go outside somewhere and or even I don't know, it's just, I don't I keep I have people are they ask me a lot about it. And I always some people still were convinced it was fake. And I'd say, look, if I was going to get fake hair, I'd get something that looks better than this. It's this is what I got. And so, yeah, you throw a little water in your hands and there you go. Looks yeah. like you just combed your hair. Yeah, mine's fake. I, I, I did this for real. You know, I decided I really wanted You went with the bald spot? spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you got to make it look real. Yep. Tyler Paulson, last question. Favorite Seinfeld episode? And I'll just, uh, I'll, I will say this. I am a Curb Your Enthusiasm fanatic, so I can yep. talk about that forever. I used to be a Seinfeld fanatic. Yours? Um, I'd say, I think there are two. One is, the I think it's called The Glasses, and it's when... Uh, Kramer's redoing the state theater with Jeffrey Harharwood and there's Lloyd Braun is like just gotten out of the insane asylum. So he has Jerry wearing those glasses because <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lloyd thinks, yeah. am I crazy or does Jerry not wear glasses? And so he ends up buying the Lomani gum, like a hundred dollars worth of Lomain gum. That's one. The other one is the Merv Griffin set. Yeah. And I, oh, I, so I love the Merv Griffin yeah. set where Kramer reconstructs it in his, in his apartment and so then every time people come over he's he's the host yeah. of the show and you know. i love the the frogger one with the uh, phil rizzuto keychain that gets buried under the tar and at the end of the, the, the yeah, show the, the truck goes over or whatever it's phil rizzuto holy cow yeah the other one i love that scene that ends uh where 
where Newman is driving the mail truck and he runs over like a sewing machine and his whole mail truck catches fire. When that was when uh, when um, Kramer uh, like like adopted a highway. Yeah. And anyway, this last scene of the mail truck going up in flames and Newman's like, oh, the humanity. <laughs> well, the the my favorite scene uh-huh. is still when Kramer comes in and says like, do you want a refund on your stereo? And Jerry's like, I can't. I, I got it like five years ago. And he said, no. Do you want a refund? Yeah. So then Kramer smashes it up with a screwdriver and says they just write it off. Yeah. And they have the whole exchange about a write-off. You like, don't even know write what it, a write-off. Write it off what? They just write it off. Do you even know what a write-off is? Yeah. I don't, but they do, yeah. and they're the ones writing it off. Yeah. Um, so Kerber Enthusiasm does a season where they're where he's writing a a um, a Seinfeld, Seinfeld reunion, reunion. Yeah. and that is one of my greatest Seinfeld like Kerber Enthusiasm seasons. It's just so funny, like all the entire cast of Seinfeld's in it, and it's the bail, the Bear Midruff yeah. uh, episode I, is one of the I funniest. Ones. I, I'm a big Curb guy yeah. too, so um, but that is one yeah. of the best seasons. Yeah, and um, uh, Albert Brooks's brother who played um, um, what's his face in Curb that recently passed away. Um, the, the Dave oh, Funkhauser, Funkhauser. Yeah, yeah. Um, he tells Jerry Seinfeld a joke during the the one of the one of the uh, uh, episodes that you could just tell is off the cuff, and Jerry like loses his mind laughing in it, and that's what I love about Kerr because you could tell so much is unscripted. Right. So. You know, I I saw a documentary about that show, yeah. and it they would talk, they'd have a topic. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. And then like, the Eric, scene would yep. just go. Yeah. My buddy, Eric Stolhansky from Super Troopers and Beer Fest, he played uh, Sven, the Norwegian caddy in one of the early episodes. And it, he told me how it goes. And it's, it's fascinating. He literally give you a sheet and says, you're Sven and you're a Norwegian caddy and you're upset because he thinks you're Swedish. That is it. Right. And then you go. Just go. Yep. And that's, it's crazy. And you can tell because there are so many little smirks and things yeah. on the side where you can yeah. just tell that that was ad-libbed yeah. and caught the guy by surprise. Yeah. The one where uh, where um, Catherine O'Hara plays Funkhauser's sister in it, Funk uh, is it Funkhauser? Yeah, it is Funkhauser. Oh. He plays his sister where she just came out of like the insane asylum, and Jerry, uh, Larry David, and and uh, Jeff Green are in. You know, it, Jeff Garland, but Jeff Green in the, in the episode is in the um, uh, the ha- the house talking to her. It's one of the funniest scenes ever, ever. And then the other funny one is when. <laughs> When uh, Jeff Green and Larry David are playing Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo with Funkhauser to determine who's going to give the kidney to Richard Lewis. And all of a sudden, Susie uh, comes in there and, <laughs> and just loses his mind uh, and says, Jeff, you're not, what if you're, what if you're, <laughs> you're daughter, not giving what if your kids need, right, yeah, he goes, yeah. he goes, he's a fat F, you know, he's not even going to survive the surgery. Right. No, no, you're not giving up your kidney. Honestly, it's, I can watch that scene a thousand times. Curry enthusiasm is just hysterical. Hey, uh, uh, I told you we do a 40-minute podcast. We're at an hour. So uh, there you go. Um, hey, thanks for everybody for listening. August 8th at Tuttle's is our next podcast at 7 p.m. If you want to uh, advertise on our show, definitely email Karen Cleary at K-C-L-E-A-R-Y at talknorth.com. There are some openings on the show right now. Aquarius Home Services, your local uh, authorized dealer for Connecticut Water Treatments, Royal Credit Union, Kowalski's, Bosch Law Firm, and Chris Lindahl Real Estate are sponsors now, and thanks to them. Talk to you in Europe, Anthony, for our next podcast. It'll be great. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never going to win. Oh.
And when he, by the way, says this, he's obviously talking about me. 